following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, please. Matthew in chapter 6. For those of you that are joining us online, if you can hear me now, hopefully we're all set on that department. Uh, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us for our Bible study tonight in Matthew's Gospel, now in chapter 6. The Lord continues in the second chapter of his Sermon on the Mount with instructions on how to have Pharisee exceeding righteousness. Remember, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, then you are not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Now, in your shoes, you might think, well, that's easy, because those people were a bunch of whitewashed tombs and and liars and hypocrites and all the rest of it, but they certainly seemed to be quite religious on the outside, quite uh, concerned about righteousness, and uh, although they seemed that way as the whitewashed tomb on the inside, they were full of dead men's bones. But in any case, it was a seemingly high standard. That was the point of it. And furthermore, if that wasn't clear enough, Matthew 5.48 ends the segment of the sermon in chapter 5 with the words that we are to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect that standard driving us to despair in ourselves and hope in the Lord that he will be able to give us that righteous standing that we need before him. But that's the kind of the, if I could say, the controlling theme of the sermon at this point, which is even kind of informed by what happened in chapters 3 and 4, which is that we're called to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that repentance, that change of mind about sin, that, that disgust over our sin would turn us away from sin and turn us toward righteousness. And now Jesus is showing us just what this righteousness looks like in practice. He has challenged the audience on matters of the heart, matters that have to do with murder, um, with adultery, with divorce, with oath-making, with vengeance, uh, with loving our enemies. Those are the six... Uh, illustrative areas that he used to help us to see what righteousness really looks like. And those heart issues work out into life issues, don't they? As your heart is, so will your life be. As your heart is, so will your words be. As I've often said, if something comes out of your mouth, it first came from your heart. And so you can't say, well, sorry, that's not really me. No, it really is you, unfortunately, when those words come out of your mouth. Now, you might be expressing uh, something of Romans 7 truth that says, well, it it wasn't me, but you recognize it was me. Just like Paul says, I don't want to do the things that I am doing. You see, he has a level of what I've called before spiritual schizophrenia. He has the I that wants to do the right, and he has the I, which is the flesh, the sin nature that, that desires to do the wrong. And these two things do have a tendency to pull against one another in our lives. And so, but in any case, the Lord is dealing with the heart here and how it works out in the mouth and in conduct. And then he moves on. Of course, no chapter divisions in the sermon. 
He doesn't say turn to chapter 6. He just keeps on talking. And he says in verse 1, as it's recorded in our Bibles, chapter 6, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So you might notice a little bit of the structure of what he's said there. He's basically given a prohibition. Don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you won't have any reward. So he says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't be like them, like the hypocrites, sounding the trumpet before you and announcing your, your wonderful goodness to you know, the sons of men. Um, they have their reward if they do that. And what is, you know, it's interesting because that they do that that they might have glory from men. You see that in verse 2? And they will get that, but they will have no reward from the Father in heaven, according to verse number 1. So in contrast to that approach, he says, when you do this charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, you might say, if you take that you know, kind of too literally, you might say, well, how can I do a good deed with this hand and this hand doesn't know about it? How does that work? Well, we'll look at what that means in just a moment. The point is that the charitable deed may be done in secret, verse 4 says, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, that last, very last word, do you see that in your Bible? Will reward, will himself reward you? Mine has openly. Does yours have openly? Yours doesn't have openly, does it, Mike? Does it have openly at the end of the at the end of that verse? The word openly at the end of verse four? No, that's right. There's a textual variant there, okay? So I'm giving this for the benefit of Vincent, okay? You get your highlighter out and put this in your in your Bible. I know you're still doing that, Vincent, okay? Um, the textual variant here in verse four is an interesting one. The entire point of the paragraph is one of giving your good deeds in discreteness, not, not openly. So why does the Bible then in some manuscripts add this word openly to it? It seems to almost defeat the purpose of what is being said here. But I think we should understand the open reward to refer to future judgment. This isn't that God is going to you know, bless you in some remarkable way so that you end up getting the praise that you desired from men in the first place by, by you know, doing your good deed. Okay? So again, our question is, is, does the word openly belong at the end of verse number four or not? Okay? The, the open reward, I think, refers to the future judgment. Like sin will be judged in the future, right? Sin will be judged in the future. Um, and remember what 1 Timothy 5.24 said, that the, the sins of some people are evident in, in advance, but the ones that are not, they will become manifest later on. Okay? Somebody, that's, somebody that's lived a seemingly good life but has a bunch of skeletons in the closet, they will be 
the skeletons will come piling out of the closet when the Lord opens the closet door, okay, to look, as you know that has happened with people over the years who may seem to have been righteous or those who have been prosperous in this life will find out that they did not believe in Christ. But in any case, just like sin will be judged and some and it will be openly dealt with, in that same way, righteousness will be judged as well. And so you might look at somebody and say, boy, they don't seem like a very active, good deed-doing Christian. How do you know? You see them a little while, once a week or a couple times a week, and they might be busy out there doing things behind the scenes that you don't even know about discreetly, and their reward will be made manifest. Just as much, here's the thing, sometimes we might be accused of focusing on, you know, sin and judgment and hellfire and brimstone and all of that sort of thing. Just as much as God is bound to punish sin, and we believe that, just so much is he also bound to reward righteousness. And you know, he expresses that in the world in a number of ways. One way is he set the governing authorities over us to punish evildoers and to do what? You remember the phrase? Praise those who do well. That's what the government is supposed to do. I think, as I've said, I think the government spends a lot more time punishing evildoers than praising good well-doers. But, you know, we are in a world where Evil does have to be dealt with because it has such deleterious consequences, whereas people who do good, well, they've had good consequences, so well, who needs to reward them, you know? Well, God will see to it that they're rewarded, but just as much as God punishes evil, he praises those who do well, and he will do so in, in heaven and in the last judgment. No good work will be forgotten by God. Let that encourage your heart, my brothers and sisters. No good work will be forgotten by God. Hebrews 6.10 says, If he were to forget, that would be unjust. But God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. That's a real encouragement. So as you work discreetly, as you labor for the Lord in, in seeming obscurity, you get no credit, don't worry about that. Just don't worry about it. Uh, hopefully, you know, I know the tendency of the human heart. We want to get credit. You know, we want to get a pat on the back. We want to be, and sometimes, you know, that happens to us when we even, when we're not looking for it. Uh, we have to be careful. That doesn't become a cause of stumbling. Um, I told somebody on our team that, uh, our uh, team that works for Bibles International, that, they were concerned about, well, I didn't actually make the app, and uh, how can I contact these people? The, the idea was how to advertise the app and say, you know, look, we've made this app. It's Bible in this language. It's a pretty small language group, and they're talking about reaching universities and different people, uh, cultural centers that have this background that come from this country to try to encourage them to adopt the Bible application. And uh, I said to them, look, I don't care that you didn't develop the app. You take credit for me. You, say, you can say you developed the app. You're part of the same team that we are. I don't need the credit. I just want to see the Bible go out to those people. So you take the glory. And you know what? There's glory in sharing glory with other people. 
you know, even if they didn't do the, the actual work, I said, you're part of the same team. We're all doing the same work. Just because you didn't punch the buttons on the computer doesn't mean anything, really. So that's an encouragement. The word in uh, verse, well, actually, look at it in verse 1, charitable deeds. Verse 2, charitable deeds. If you're using a New American Standard translation, uh, pay attention there to verse 1. Do you see the word charitable deed? You probably see something about doing your righteousness. Okay? I'm using that as an important illustration here. Uh, Verse 2 is charitable deed. Verse 3 is charitable deed. Verse 4 is charitable deed. Why the repetition? Well, in the Greek, all four times it's the same word. Somewhat of a mystery to me why the New American Standard, NIV, ESV, and New English Translation, and Christian Standard Bible choose to translate the first of those four occurrences as righteousness and the rest as charitable deeds. I don't understand why. I mean, I know the language enough probably to be dangerous, but it's just kind of strange. I think the New King James has done a good job here. They've, every time it's charitable deed, charitable deed, charitable deed. And I think that's the best way to translate it, the best approach to it. Um, of course, and I like the consistency. You know, I'm an engineer, I like the consistency. If it's this, it needs to be this. But, but on the other hand, I do reflect on this fact that people who are doing charitable deeds the way that verse 1 says, before men, what are they looking for? They're looking for righteousness, aren't they? They are saying, I'm going to do this, and I'm looking for works righteousness. I'm looking for the scales to be balanced in my favor, my good to outweigh my bad, right? That's how unbelief looks at the matter of good works. And so those who are giving alms with hypocritical motives are likely thinking about works righteousness but I don't think that should change our approach to the translation. Speaking of approach, uh, there are two approaches that the Lord speaks of to giving here. I'm just going to call it giving. Okay, I'm just going to call it giving. Our Lord describes two alternative approaches. Number one, the arrogant approach. And number two, the humble approach. Let's look at the arrogant approach first because that's what the Lord does in the first few verses. The arrogant approach is that which is done to be seen by men. Let me pause at this point and just remind you, remember the Lord said in chapter 5 that you are the light of the world, you're like the salt of the earth, but you're also like a light. Light's not meant to be hid under a basket. He wants your light to shine before men so that they will glorify your Father in heaven because they behold the good works that you do. So we made a uh, comparison between that and this. Christians should be about doing good works, full on, 100%. But you don't do them to be seen by men, but they will be seen by men. You see that? If you are doing good works, somebody will see them. Maybe me from my perch in my office in the church will see that so-and-so did this for the church, but I won't say anything and you won't know about it. Or somebody else does something for someone else in the church and that's known among those people, but among nobody else. Or somebody's out in the community doing good things that we don't know about, 
and they are getting observed by others, but they're not doing it to be observed. Do you see the distinction there? Yeah. So that's not the arrogant approach. The arrogant approach is they're buying pleasure, they're buying fame. These ones who, you know, trumpet, I need the trumpet uh, sound effect in the back there to come from my son John, you know, about uh, these guys trumpeting themselves before they do their good works or while they're doing them. They're buying pleasure, fame, recognition, kudos. They're buying pats on the back. The currency that they use to buy that good feeling is the good deed. You see that? They're buying something that they want by paying in good deeds. So they get, you know, why do people give large amounts of money away? Because they're philanthropic, maybe they're well-motivated, but other times they give it away because they want to be recognized. They want to be recognized. And so the product that they're buying is food for their arrogant self-centeredness. They want to be seen by others as good people, even if their heart and behind-the-scenes motivation is terrible. That brings them, these, these good works that they do for themselves, bring them a good internal feeling. It also means they think improved prospects in heaven, they think. Like some of our, some of our arrogant politicians, you know. Are, are you going to go to heaven? Oh, I'm a shoe-in. I've done so much good for people. No problem. I'm getting in. The Lord won't even stop me. I'll just waltz right in. That, that really is a statement that one person made. Unbelievable arrogance that that demonstrates. The good outweighs the bad theology is unfortunately wrong for them, and they have that kind of thinking. But that kind of thinking is pandemic amongst those who do not know the gospel. Now, did the hypocrites actually have a trumpet blown to highlight their good deeds? I didn't even research to ask the question or answer it, okay? Just leave it. I'll let you do that homework. If you're interested, you know, you at home can uh, fill in the blanks on that, okay? It's hard to imagine such a crass practice. Somebody would do that? What? Whether it was or whether it wasn't, the idea of trumpeting your own good deeds is well understood. You've probably talked to a few people that they can't stop talking about what they've done for whatever, the company or the church or society or, or whatever. Yeah, you know, there's good examples out there of that. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say good, effective illustrations of that, <laughs> of that kind of uh, self-promotion uh, or whatever. Cheerleading, we'll call it, uh, self-cheerleading. Such proud people talk to everybody about what they've done, how they gave money to such and such a cause, I've known, you know, if people give a few bucks to, uh, to a cause just so they could say they gave, uh, or maybe they gave out of their riches. Uh, you know, if you're like that, if you're telling everybody about all the good that you've done, then, then it's likely you're like these hypocrites that Jesus talked about uh, back here in Matthew chapter 6. The goal of the trumpet sound was to be honored by people. They, they wanted to get reputation, fame, and glory in this life. And you know what? That's all they're going to get. Even that does not last too long in most cases. I mean, how many generations does, does a name last on the earth anyway? 
you know, somebody gives millions of dollars even. Um, I mean, some guy from DoubleClick, I think, an ad company, gave millions of dollars to uh, the University of North Campus to build a computer science building. And I don't even remember his name. I, I, can't, I can't think of it. I should know it probably, but, um, you know, that's just how long it lasts, that, that kind of fame and fortune. Uh, you know, they, they have given for a temporal reward. They have done this alms or this benevolence, this mercy thing or whatever, and, and that's all they're going to receive is a temporary reward. The notion that their method of giving will lead to eternal benefits is entirely mistaken. Now, because, of, because all of us have a lot of self left in us, we face the temptation of desiring the praise of men. Even if we do not receive it, beware that desire. It will drive you to do things that you ought not to do. It will drive you to treat with favoritism people that you should not treat with favoritism. We shouldn't treat anybody with favoritism or partiality. Perhaps there are people outside the church that you fear more than God so that you shy away from being very active as a Christian. You choose their activities over God's things or whatever. There's, there's all kinds of things that can result from this perverse desire that still is within us for the praise of people and to, uh, to have reward and recognition for ourselves. That's the selfish nature that we have. Well, that's what the Lord talks about, and I called that the arrogant giver or the arrogant uh, charitable deed doer, but then there's the humble doer of charitable deeds. The other approach is the humble approach, the one commanded by our Lord. He says, do not do your charitable deeds before men. Do not sound a trumpet before you. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, but do that secretly and the Lord will reward you in that open fashion that he promised. So the charitable deed is done so quietly that you yourself do not even make a big deal of it within yourself. I think that's what it means when it says the right hand, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's like you've done the charitable deed and you just move on and you forget about it. You know, you don't break your shoulder trying to pat yourself on the back for doing that charitable deed. You just, it's almost like six months later, somebody could say, hey, you know, thanks for doing that for me. And you're like, almost like, I did that? You know, just because it, it becomes, it's not that it's unimportant to the, sorry, to the recipient of the person or the person that you gave it to, but it, it's become, uh, you, you just moved on and you're looking for the next charitable deed you can do secretly to help somebody. It's just not a big deal to yourself. Um, so this speaks not only of the, of the manner of giving relative to outsiders, but also the way in which you think of it about, about it yourself. You know, you don't pat yourself on the back. This reflects Luke 17.10. In Luke 17.10, the Lord expresses that when a servant does what he's supposed to do, he shouldn't, you know, be all like uh, big-headed about it. Instead, he should say what? We are just unprofitable servants doing that which was our duty to do. You know, like if you feel, don't take this the wrong way, it's a good thing I'm going to say that you would do. You know, if you were very busy about evangelism, yeah, that's, that's good. But you know what? That's what we're supposed to do. 
So don't give yourself extra credit when you're just doing C work. You know what I mean? That's just what we're supposed to be doing. That's baseline, you know, every day when you come into school, you do the things you, you do there. It's just it's, it's how it is. Every, every day you wake up, you do the things that God calls the church to do, to be a righteous person, to evangelize others, to do good works, and that's it. I mean, you're just an unprofitable servant. Now, you think about yourself that way, that will keep you humble. And God will reward you later. We're God's children and expected to behave as God's children. That is, if God is, if God's our Father and He's generous, we ought to be generous. If He's helpful, we ought to be helpful. If He's giving, we ought to be giving. If He concerns Himself with righteousness, we ought to be concerned with righteousness, and so on. So it's a blessing then to be able to forget, you know, your charitable deeds and just move on in life and and look for the next opportunity. Now, for the church leadership and for the church membership, there's some implications I'll just make by way of application from what the Lord is teaching here. Um, I've said this before as far as giving goes. Um, and by the way, we're not just talking about giving money here. Okay, uh, You could give food. You could give time. You could give a car. You could give whatever, um, any kind of thing. Charitable activity, alms giving, donations, uh, service in some capacity behind the scenes, and those opportunities should be made available. But I don't think that we as a church leadership should be looking into that uh, side of giving. Let people give privately. Those that count the offering must They have a sacred responsibility to allow donors to give in the discreet way that is said here. Don't ruin it for them, as it were, or make them feel uncomfortable with that. This is a very important responsibility. We should never disclose information about who's giving what to the church, to outsiders or even to other insiders in the church. Uh, the, The church giving methodology should not be structured in a private manner I mean, sorry, in a public manner, but in a private fashion. Um, Passing the offering plate, I think, is fine. It doesn't make the giving too too public. And uh, although we we have the offering plate in the back these days, but uh, publishing who gives and how much they give and all of that is simply so ridiculous that it's outside of the scope of this passage altogether. Church leaders should never do such a thing, and there will be no reward from God for that kind of conduct. Also, giving praise from the pulpit can be a dangerous thing for the ego temptation of people who uh, you know, want to be heard. You have that, that feeling like, wow, look, I was on TV. <laughs> you know, They mentioned me on the radio or something like that. I don't think that's happened, but anyway, for me anyway. But, uh, you know, that kind of feeling, you you have to be cautious about that. We've alluded to that a couple times already. So better to keep most things on the down low, so to speak, uh, in that regard. For church members, it's necessary for us to understand the importance of giving money and goods to and services to the church or to however, to the people that we are in contact with, as an act of worship toward God. When we give in, in love toward others and love toward God, that's an act of worship toward God. 
doing work for people can be worship of God, and doing work for God is worship of God. Okay? Christians are natural givers. We want to give, and that's a good thing. But we have to fight the urges of materialism and selfishness and greed and so forth that want to take our impulse for giving away from us. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have some thing. I want to give that thing to somebody to help them. But I want to keep that thing because, well, it's a thing, you know, and it's kind of a neat thing, and it's a materialistic kind of impulse, right? But you find great blessing by giving those things, giving things away to people who need them. Um, And we're naturally, you know, as believers now, not naturally in our sin nature, but naturally in our divine nature, as it were, givers. And such work is rewarded by God. But that reward doesn't necessarily come in this life. It might come, it might come in this life in ways that are intangible and unprovable. Or it may come in other ways that God will see to it that we're blessed either now or later. So I'll give you an example. Um, my grandmother on my dad's side, always said, uh, not, not always said, but said to me several times, we always gave to the Lord's work. And they tried to give a tithe. And she said, and the Lord always blessed us. Now, I don't think she took that as a formula. You know, we gave so God had to bless. But she said that was the natural outcome. When you put God first, Something happens that just things work better. God sees to it that that happens. Now, does he always, you know, I mean, if that continued forever, then you'd say, well, I'd never get cancer, I never get sick, I never die, because I always gave my tithe. Well, that's not how that works. You know that. Um, Pastor and Mrs. Don Peterson, Mrs. Peterson with the Lord now, Pastor Peterson still with us on this planet, but, um, you know, they said we made it our aim to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he promised that he would add all these things to us. And uh, that was probably Naomi and I sitting together with them in their kitchen on the, in the little cabin that they had on Portage Lake. Was it Portage Lake over there? I mean, sitting up kind of high on a hill and the, the, the hill slopes down to the, to the lake. Beautiful. And this pastor in his 80s and his wife right there with him in that age range saying, the Lord has provided all this, you see. This wasn't us. This was the Lord because they gave their lives in service to him. And so some saw those blessings in, in maybe in somewhat intangible or tangible ways, but I can only imagine for them and for many others that their reward is, is far greater in heaven than it was here. Those who have left this world's goods will receive a hundred times more in the time to come. The Lord promised that. So take caution that you're discreet in your giving and your service. Your heart can easily be swayed by a feeling uh, of other people. You know, you want other people to know and appreciate your work, but do you have that same feeling about God appreciating your work? Boy, I'd love so-and-so to recognize me or my name to be called from the pulpit, to be thanked. But what about God? 
How do you think about his accolades? You are, do you seek those as much as you seek the accolades of men? Doing things for the praise of men, I think, is just a variant of the disease called the fear of man. In other words, or perhaps it's this way, fearing man is one side and seeking the praise of men is the other side of that same thing. You remember in in John chapter 12, many of the priests believed in him, but the Bible says they did not confess him because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were afraid that like Nicodemus, and like Joseph of Arimathea, who were among the Sanhedrin, who were not uh, agreeing together with them in their counsel to put Jesus to death. In fact, they came out of the closet, so to speak, when they gathered up Jesus' body off the cross and wrapped it in, in uh, cloths and, and did the initial kind of spices and embalming and put him into the grave. That would have put them on the... I mean, they were done as far as the Sanhedrin was concerned at that point, I think. There was no going back at that point. They did not love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They wanted the praise of God. This applies in all of life, this, um, you know, this business about giving. And it applies to non-Christians as well. But, of course, we don't expect the secular world to follow the command of our Lord to give this way, giving big amounts for name recognition on buildings and statues and things like that should not capture our attention. Wealthy Christians which some of us are in this assembly and across the United States as a whole, should focus on building up the name of Christ, not our own name. Postif doesn't need to be an important name. Christ needs to be held up as important in the world, and I hope that that's your, your attitude as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We are grateful to you for allowing us the privilege to look at these words tonight. These few verses that talk about charitable deeds. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, from the front of the room to the back, everyone in the church building, everyone listening online, will be concerned about the doing of good deeds. Whatever good deeds, whatever alms, whatever acts of mercy, whatever charity that we can do, that we would do it with all of our strength. Lord, please help us have and use opportunities for it in Jesus' name. We pray your blessing on your people as we go now. Help us to have safe passage home. Those who will be traveling later this week, back and forth or long distance, that they have safe passage as well. We know that it's not uh, automatic, and we'd rather, we'd rather pray. And as one brother said years ago, we'd rather pray and be in an accident than not pray and get there safely, because that means that we depended on God in the first case, and we depended on ourselves in the second, which is not a good scene. And we ask, Lord, you'd help us to depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good. Thanks for coming tonight. We're at 8 o'clock, and we're going to say good night to those online and to you that are here, and uh, glad that you could come tonight. Spend any time you want in fellowship, and we will then be on our way. Good night.